When God began to create heaven and earth, and the earth then was welter and waste, and darkness over the deep, and God's breath hovering over the waters, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And it was evening, and it was morning, first day. And God said, Let there be a vault in the midst of the waters, and let it divide water from water. And God made the vault, and it divided the water beneath the vault from the water above the vault. And so it was. And God called the vault heavens, and it was evening, and it was morning, second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered in one place, so that dry land will appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth grow grass, plants yielding seed of each kind, and trees bearing fruit of each kind, that has its seed within it upon the earth. And so it was. And the earth put forth grass, plants yielding seed, and trees bearing fruit of each kind, and God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and it was morning, third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and they shall be signs for the fixed times, and for days and years, and they shall be lights in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth. And so it was. And God made the two great lights, the great light for dominion of day, and the small light for dominion of night, and the stars. And God placed them in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth, and to have dominion over day and night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and it was morning, fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with the swarm of living creatures, and let fowl fly over the earth across the vault of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that crawls, which the water had swarmed forth of each kind, and the winged fowl of each kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And it was evening, and it was morning, fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of each kind, cattle and crawling things and wild beasts of each kind. And so it was. And God made wild beasts of each kind and cattle of every kind and all crawling things on the ground of each kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make a human in our image, by our likeness, to hold sway over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the heavens and the cattle and the wild beasts and all the crawling things that crawl upon the earth. And God created the human in his image. In the image of God he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and conquer it. And hold sway over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the heavens and every beast that crawls upon the earth. And God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the face of all the earth and every tree that has fruit-bearing seed. Yours they will be for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the fowl of the heavens, and to all that crawls on the earth, which has the breath of life within it, the green plants for food. And so it was. And God saw all that he had done, and look, it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their array. And God completed on the seventh day the task he had done. And he ceased on the seventh day from all the task he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, for on it he had ceased from all his task that he had created to do. This is the tale of the heavens and the earth when they were created. That is Robert Alter's translation of Genesis 1 from his book, The Five Books of Moses, a translation with commentary. The creation story in Genesis 1 is a beautiful story of God's goodness, wisdom, and sovereignty. It attests to the wonder of God's creation and gives us a glimpse into the ultimate purpose of the cosmos. However, I think for many Christians, we've heard the story so many times since childhood that it can seem difficult to hear anything new in it. Or we may be so accustomed to the origins debates and the faith versus science disputes that we cannot experience the text without those polemics playing in the back of our minds. And in our modern culture, we tend to be very interested in material existence. We think of existence of an object in terms of its physical properties, what we can observe through the five senses. But the ancients were far less interested in the fact that something merely had material existence. They lived in a chaotic world where death was only one famine, war, or illness away and their interest centered on the creation of those things that brought order, structure, and utility to an organized society. The ancient Egyptians referred to the desert as the non-existent. And we might think, of course the desert exists. I mean, you can see it, you can touch the sand, you can understand its composition. But to the Egyptians, the shifting sands of the barren desert were the wasteland beyond the borders of society, which produced nothing but death, and it was not worthy of the status of existence. And the ancient Hebrews thought of the universe as more like a kingdom, Yahweh's kingdom, as opposed to a machine, as we might sometimes think of it. Their interest in creation stories was more akin to how we might think of making a home as opposed to the construction of a house. And so I want to try to paint a picture of a scenario in which a creation story like that of Genesis 1 could have been told to a group of ancient Israelites. I'm pulling a lot of my ideas for this whole episode from John Walton's work, especially his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1. But uh, the story that I tell below is entirely fictional. I'm not trying to make any specific claims about the dating or the authorship of Genesis. I just want us to try to come out of our modern perspective for a minute 
and hear the text of Genesis 1 in a different way, to think about it at a point in time where it might have been particularly meaningful to the ancient Hebrews. So imagine with me that the Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Of the generation that had left Egypt, all had now died except for Moses and a few aging leaders like Joshua and Caleb. It seemed as if nothing existed in the shifting sands of the desolate desert. No rain fell. The agricultural seasons could not be detected. They felt death crouching around every hill. The people longed for peace and order, for the safety of settled communities and the provision of well-manicured fields. They had the presence of God in the tabernacle, but the Lord had said that he would select a special place for permanent habitation, and the people longed to worship him there and to know the security of the Lord's dwelling place. So Moses gathered the leaders of the people together and spoke to them, saying, There was a time when the entire world was even more formless and functionless than this desert. But the God of our ancestors, the one true living God, is the creator of all things. The entire cosmos is his sanctuary and his kingdom. When God began to create heaven and earth, the cosmos was darkness and deep sea. God, through his words, separated light out of the darkness and structured the cycle of days and nights to give us times of productivity and times of rest. God parted the waters, formed the sky, and created weather. From his mighty hand he sends rain, and if we trust in him alone, we will have all of the food that we need and the land he is bringing us into. God divided the seas and brought forth dry land and vegetation. He fashioned the sun, moon, and stars in the sky to mark days, months, and years by which we celebrate the Sabbaths, feast days, and festivals of the Lord. God filled the sky and the seas with living creatures, making them all fruitful. He filled the land with living creatures as well, and then he created us, humankind in his image. God created us to function as his representatives on the earth, to rule the earth in love as he rules the entire cosmos. He looked at all that he had created, and how well it functioned together, and declared that it was very good. It was then that the Lord sat enthroned in his cosmic sanctuary, ceasing from his work of creation to rule forever. The Lord who did all of this will not allow us to perish. It is his desire that we should be fruitful and multiply, and by his strong arm he will bring us into the land of milk and honey. As he divided the day and night, the waters and the dry land, so we will divide the promised land into our tribal inheritances. We will separate the farmland from the pasture, the city from the wilderness. We will separate the holy from the profane, and we will worship God in his sanctuary. We will live by the hand of God through the rain that he sends. We will find rest from our wanderings and cease from our labors on every Sabbath. Chaos, death, and desolation are behind us. But if we follow the Lord, we will find stability, order, and peace. The text of Genesis 1 has a certain beauty to it, and the nature of the literature can be hard to define exactly. People debate whether it is poetry or prose. And it's true that Genesis 1 doesn't exhibit some of the characteristics of Hebrew poetry, like the parallelism that you see in some of the Psalms, where Phrases are repeated one after another, just almost identically with synonyms. 
And yet it does have a very tightly crafted structure with parallel thoughts throughout, the repetition of phrases like there was evening and there was morning. And one of the things that I find the most fascinating is the parallel ideas between the first set of three days and the second set of three days. In days four through six, God places things within the realms that he created in days one through three. So in the celestial heavens, where God created the cycles of light and darkness in day one, he now creates the sun, moon, and stars which inhabit those heavens. And their function is to mark the passage of time, the calendar, and the agricultural seasons with their associated religious festivals. And then within the waters below in the sky that God created on day two, he now creates the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air in day five. And their function is to be fruitful and multiply and fill their respective realms. And then on the dry land that God created with vegetation in day three, he now creates animals and humankind. And we too are given a purpose, a function within the ordered universe. And then on the seventh day, God, Shabbat, that is the Hebrew word that is translated ceased or rested. And it's the original Hebrew for what we now know as Sabbath. The idea of God resting often strikes us as somewhat odd. Was he tired? And we may simply gloss over this verse as an, in, as an ending. All of the really interesting stuff was made in the first six days, and then God was done, and so he stopped. But to an ancient reader, the activities of the first six days were all building towards this grand crescendo. This was the point of the story. God Shabbat. To all ancient Near Easterners, this statement about God resting would have immediately conjured up images of a temple, for that was what a temple was, a place for their deity to rest. But rest is not quite the right word, since it has nothing to do with drowsiness or relaxation. A king who returns home from a foreign war can cease his campaigning and sit upon his throne to rule a safe and secure kingdom. And so a deity was thought to sit enthroned in his temple as his dwelling place, to cease from struggle and strife, and to ensure the order of his realm. We can see many of the elements of this idea in Hebrew writing in, in the Bible in places like Psalm 132, where David vows not to enter his own house of rest until he finds a dwelling place for the Lord. And so we see in verses 7 and 8, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And then in verses 13 and 14, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Here we see the temple in Jerusalem described as God's dwelling place resting place, and seat of power. We can see connections between the cosmos of Genesis 1 and the Jerusalem temple through shared imagery. The Bible describes how the temple was created and adorned and the objects of worship that were within it, and there's images of the sea, animals and plants, and the angels called cherubim. In addition, the menorah is often thought of as representative of the tree of life. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus, speaking of the temple items, said, 
Every one of these objects is intended to recall and represent the universe. We can see then that the original sanctuary of God was the entire cosmos itself. Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? Viewed this way, the story of Genesis 1 is an account of the inauguration of sacred space. And the most central truth is that this world is a place for God's presence. God creates the world, and then he enters into it to dwell here, to establish his kingdom here. And our function is to spread the sacred space of the garden over the face of the whole earth, ruling the earth as God rules the cosmos. Thus, the question of what it means to be made in God's image becomes clearer. We don't have to wonder which one facet of human identity represents the image of God. Is it creativity or rationality, morality? Rather, being made in God's image describes our function. We are to be God's representatives to the world, his stewards in this domain. We can also see that this world is meant to be a place of safety and security for us as well. We lost that security through sin, but God still longs to restore it to his people. In the New Testament, this becomes Jesus' mission as he seeks to bring God's kingdom to earth, which we can see in verses like Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God desires that we Shabbat so that we can have Shalom. Shalom is more than just peace, although it certainly is that, but it is also safety, security, order, and well-being in a very broad and holistic sense. And when we help to bring safety and security into the world, we are doing the work of God. With the fall, the greatest loss was not paradise, but was God's presence. The temple provided for a partial return of that presence. And I believe that one purpose of the temple was to help keep the world of Genesis 1 alive in the corporate consciousness or collective imagination of the Jewish people. And we can look forward to the full return of God's presence and the reestablishment of safety, security, peace, and rest. As Isaiah says in chapter 51, verse 3, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. We started the episode with reading Robert Alter's translation of Genesis, which I like because it uh, uses different words which help us to hear the text in a new and fresh way. But I want to end with one more translation. This is Everett Fox's. And Everett Fox's translation is perhaps even more extreme in the way that it attempts to capture the sounds, the structure, and the cadence of the original Hebrew as closely as possible in English. Sometimes it makes for slightly awkward English, but I love how expressive his translation is. You can almost feel life bursting forth through God's creative acts. God's spirit rushes, vegetation sprouts and bursts with fruit. 
Swarms of living things surge through the seas, air, and land. God looks at the vibrant, dynamic, flourishing scene and declares that it is exceedingly good. At the beginning of God's creating of the heavens and the earth, when the earth was wild and waste, darkness over the face of ocean, rushing spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and called the darkness night. There was setting, and there was dawning, one day. God said, let there be a dome amid the waters, and let it separate waters from waters. God made the dome and separated the waters that were below the dome from the waters that were above the dome. It was so. God called the dome heaven. There was setting, there was dawning, second day. God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered to one place, and let the dry land be seen. It was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said, Let the earth sprout forth with sprouting growth, plants that seed forth seeds, fruit trees that yield fruit after their kind, in which is their seed upon the earth. It was so. The earth brought forth sprouting growth, plants that seed forth seeds after their kind, trees that yield fruit in which is their seed after their kind. God saw that it was good. There was setting, there was dawning, third day. God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the heavens to separate the day from the night, that they may be for signs, for set times, for days and years, and let them be for lights in the dome of the heavens to provide light upon the earth. It was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light for ruling the day, and the smaller light for ruling the night, and the stars. God placed them in the dome of the heavens to provide light upon the earth, to rule the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was setting, there was dawning, fourth day. God said, Let the waters swarm with the swarm of living beings, and let fowl fly above the earth, across the dome of the heavens. God created great sea serpents and all living beings that crawl about with which the waters swarmed after their kind and all winged fowl after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Bear fruit and be many and fill the waters in the seas and let the fowl be many on the earth. There was setting, there was dawning, fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living beings after their kind, herd animals, crawling things, and wildlife of the earth after their kind. It was so. God made the wildlife of the earth after their kind, and the herd animals after their kind, and all crawling things of the soil after their kind. God saw that it was good. God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the heavens, animals, all the earth, and all crawling things that crawl about upon the earth. 
So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God did he create it. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, Bear fruit and be many and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the heavens, and all living things that crawl about upon the earth. God said, Here I give you all plants that bear seeds that are upon the face of all the earth, and all trees in which there is fruit that bears seeds. For you shall they be for eating, and also for all the living things of the earth, for all the fowl of the heavens, for all that crawls about upon the earth in which there is living being, all green plants for eating. It was so. Now God saw all that he had made, and here it was exceedingly good. There was setting, there was dawning, the sixth day. Thus were finished the heavens and the earth, with all of their array. God had finished on the seventh day his work that he had made, and then he ceased on the seventh day from all his work that he had made. God gave the seventh day his blessing, and he hallowed it, for on it he ceased from all his work that by creating God had made. These are the begettings of the heavens and the earth, their being created. All right, that wraps up episode 9 of the Dustcast. I hope that you were able to experience something new in Genesis 1 today. Be sure to check out the show notes at thedustcast.com and look for that blog post on listener feedback. I would love to hear what you want to hear next, any favorite professors or authors that you'd like to hear an interview with. You can also find the Dustcast on Facebook and on Twitter, and uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. If you like what you hear, leave me a rating or a review. Thanks a lot. Bye.